If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and a reality check you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. You know, it's business as usual when you're back doing Legal Hub on Reality Check Radio. Just so happens that uh, we're picking things up on a Wednesday, the day after Waitangi Day, and um, our first Legal Hub of 2024 is with Katie Ashby-Coppins. Nick Kearney will be back uh, next week. But Katie, Happy New Year. Is it too late to say that? No. No. We're we're, we're just back in the driver's seat. Yeah. Okay. And I hope you had a great break. Yeah. Really refreshed. Thank you. Yeah, and um, Waitangi Day was yesterday, and you're not in New Zealand. You're across the Tasman, so we can say that. So what sort of day was it for you? Oh, it was a good day. Uh, We started off early in the morning uh, to sunrise on the beach and just really took time to reflect on uh, what Waitangi Day means to us and, uh, you know, reflect on our Pākehā and Māori heritage. So it was a really great day. And, um, uh, yeah, I think it's always a great day to reflect. And remember, it is our history. It's all of our, you know, it's the sum of our parts and we're the sum of it. And it's, um, you know, we... It's either we work on this to um, look to be together or we continue down this road of division, which I don't think is going to benefit anybody. So uh, I really celebrated it. Well, that's fantastic. Earlier on the program, we talked to Elizabeth Rata, and she um, is fascinating to talk to, but she put it in this way, that it's really a battle between the democracy that we know and and tribalism, and we're going to have to choose. And perhaps the election was that choice, mm. you know, but that's given us all something to reflect on. Anyway, we're here to talk about some of the legal cases out there, and um, there are some big ones, not so big ones, some that that uh, New Zealanders will be aware of, some not. Where do you want to start? you want to start with the bank? Yeah, I thought we might as well start with the bank. Um uh... Enough to the, go- uh, the government's banker here, by the way. The West, West Bank is the government's yeah, banker. Yeah, in- oh, sure. interesting. It's not Kiwi Bank, I can tell you that. Oh, goodness, but I thought that it had the government threw so much support behind Kiwi Bank. Yeah, and look at the Young New Zealander of the Year and all of that. No, um, I don't think it has the scale. So what's West okay. Bank been doing? Because they've um, – like, well, you tell the story anyway. Yeah, right. So back in 2016, and you've got to remember there was a Royal Commission around about then too, but back in 2016, and this is in Australia, um, Westpac got up to a little bit of no good. And so uh, you'll no doubt have heard of insider trading. It's effectively the situation where you've got a bit of information on an issue before it happens so that you can either drop stock or respond so that you can maximise your uh, money money, um, or your return on it. So um, ASIC, which is the Australian Securities Investments Commission uh, in Australia, alleged uh, that Westpac had committed insider trading uh, when Westpac began to limit its own trading uh, room exposure ahead of what was called an interest rate swap uh, transaction with a group of Australian super funds. So the interest rate swap 
related to managing the interest rate risk associated with the super funds purchasing a major uh, stake in an electricity provider. So Westpac knew about this before they uh, had to respond and do this for their client um, and deal with effectively a $12, $12 billion um, debt package. But because they knew about this and what they were required to do, uh, they limited their own trading room exposure, pocketing $20.7 million mm. for their efforts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, last week, Westpac settled with um, ASIC, uh, and the settlement required court sign-off, as they invariably do over here in Australia. Uh, and the uh, deal was that as, uh, Westpac would agree to that its conduct was unconscionable, but it would pay a measly penalty of $1.8 million, uh, having pocketed the $20 million. Um, and I think the federal court described it uh, as um, uh, not only laughable, but also ludicrous. So, you know, that's the kind of nonsense that we're dealing with. Massive corporates getting away with, you know, what would effectively... So, so they've got away with that. They've got away with... Uh, Paying one eighteen point two million dollars at least. Wow. Okay, <laughs> so they're happy still. Yeah. Um, what was was that? Some opportunistic person on the trading floor, or whatever, wherever these people are, or was that, you know, a um, like a Westpac move? Do we they know? would I? You, I would imagine you would need to have some sort of supervisory sign off. Yeah. But still, if you if you went and did that, um, even on your own initiative, and you've still got the bank up by about eighteen mil, <laughs> you've still done quite a good job for the bank. Mm, absolutely, clearly, white collar crime pays. Yeah, and that really has no impact in terms of the Westpac reputation, the wider reputation. I would imagine, really, does it? Well, I imagine that the New Zealand government will continue to bank with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well put. All right. Okay. Yeah. So white collar crime does actually pay because really they should have had to have coughed up all the money and then possibly the same again in a fine. I would have thought. Yeah. Look, the, the one point eight million has been described as a penalty. It is a settlement. Uh, the action that was taken, I believe, was civil, um, probably civil regulatory, uh, and uh, in the end, rather than. Um, going all the way through to a full hearing uh, and judgment, uh, Westpac settled with ASIC, uh, but naturally ASIC also accepted uh, the settlement. They could have hammered them harder than that, surely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Not, what is this? This is, what, seven years, eight years on, 2016? Oh, okay, yeah. So this has been banging around for ages. Yeah, a, a very long time. Um, the wheels of justice clearly do not work, uh, move, sorry, <laughs> the wheels of justice clearly do move slowly. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, this is, there would have been a lot of interlocutories and steps and uh, toing and froing before getting to this hearing. Uh, yeah, how much How much do you think Westpac would have spent, to, you know, going through these procedures, do you think? I would hate to guess. They would have, no doubt, a top-tier law firm and a raft of barristers doing all their uh small bits of the um, overall wheel of the job. The other question is, is how much did ASIC, the Australian spend. Securities Commission, spend as well? 
Uh, and I'm sure those amounts would be eye-watering, uh, but certainly not the entire $18 million profit that we've A feeding made. frenzy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Next um, topic is something we're going to be talking about with the one of the people involved, I think, in a few more days. And uh, maybe this is just like a bit of an uh, appetizer to it, and that is the case of giggle versus tickle. Mm. Now, we'll be talking to the giggle app founder about this case in a few days, but let's just preview it. This is, this is quite an important case, isn't it? Terribly important. Uh, it would, you know... It... The fact that the name is Giggle v Tickle, which yeah, is you the, couldn't make that up. You you actually can't make that up. Like the amount of puns that you can make with it is just hilarious. Yeah, but it's shocking. So I had the privilege of introducing um, Sal to you guys, and yeah, I think Sal, she would be phenomenal robot. to um, catch up with and to hear because yep. what is actually being proposed is incredible, and she's getting absolutely no media traction whatsoever in Australia. Yeah, for a case that's actually in the federal court where the Australian Human Rights Commissioner has applied to intervene. Yes. This is this is what beggars belief to me, because I want to know how much the Australian uh, government is spending on this action. So the background is this. Giggle is a social media app designed for females. Yeah. It's marketed to females as a female-only space that allows women to find roommates, uh, engage in freelance work, and find friendship groups and more. Uh, Giggles, a social networking app where males are excluded from the user base. Yeah. There's no other specific demographic that is excluded from the app other than males. Yeah. And that's fair enough to any common sense thinking person. I yeah. I want to, if I want to go into a safe space and know I'm only dealing with girls, then, you know, I'll jump onto the app and, you know, could get some work out of it or, you know, find great flatmates. Yeah. Without any sort of baggage going with it, let's say. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's a social media app, so you have to take the risks that you've got. But Yeah, but you've got predatory guys who would... Potentially. Yeah, yeah potentially. So this is uh, where it gets strange. The applicant, uh, name Roxanne Tickle, is a biological male, but legally recognised as a female on his Queensland-issued birth certificate. Now, remember we talked about this change happening last year, one of our first legal hubs, actually, about yeah, what yeah. was the potential yeah. effect in New Zealand with somebody being able to recategorize or redescribe them, um, their sex on their birth certificate. Roxanne Tickle alleges that Giggle for Girls uh, has discriminated against him based on his appearance, not aligning with societal expectations of women who are biologically female. Yeah. This case will absolutely be one for the books because it will test the boundaries of what here we have here in, in Australia as the Australian Sex Discrimination Act. Yeah. Um, but what it will impact upon globally is the UN's Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, a convention that both New Zealand and Australia have adopted and many other countries member states of the UN have adopted. So it will have significant international consequences. Which I, I'm picking talks in terms of sex and not gender, fundamentally. Yeah, so this is one of the issues that's occurred with the um, Australian Sex Discrimination Act. They've removed the definitions. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's going to be played out is effectively the court having to redefine uh, things that should naturally be easily definable in the legislation. But because we have these uh, layers of uh, sexual versus gender constructs that have been brought about, um, we now will have to have a very convoluted proceeding where the judge is going to be probably in a pretty tough spot. Yeah, um, um, because isn't that fundamentally deciding what is a woman, that question that we... Yeah, correct, yeah. correct. And yeah. look, judges have to deal with this all the time when you think about male assaults female Yeah. Uh, in a criminal action. You know, a man hits a woman. They have to deal with that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out because we've got in uh, our favour the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women and we've got you know criminal legislation which clearly identifies a male perpetrator and a, a female victim. So it's going to be... Very interesting how it plays out. Um, the courts uh, will be under a significant amount of pressure. I appreciate that you know there is supposed to be a line of separation between the courts as a separate branch of government to you know, or separate from government, uh, but you know they do uh, invariably um, uh, uh, bend to political persuasion. Um, so it's going to no, be so, a very interesting one to see yeah. play out. So um, depending on the decision. Either clarity is provided or just more confusion. Yes. To really come down to that. Yes. Any predictions? Uh, first of all, it will probably be in the federal court where um, Giggle takes on Tickle. Yep. Uh, the fact that the um, uh, Australian Human Rights Commission has got involved um, I and is essentially taking Tickle's case for him, um, I think is uh, you know something that people should be very concerned about. And I'm going to be singing it from the rooftops with all of my colleagues uh, because I'm sure that they would be particularly interested to know where decent taxpayers' money is going. Um, so, so this could be quite a moment for them too. A potentially, moment. yes, absolutely. Yeah. Gee. You know, they've, they've received a legal opinion. They're taking it because they obviously believe they've got something in there. Uh, but, you know, out of all the other things, I've still got outstanding letters that haven't been replied to by the Human Rights Commission um, on key breaches over the last four years. Yeah, I think uh, Human Rights Commissions, not only where you are, but also here, have uh, been very selective in in what they take on as well. So this seems to be um, a bit of a condition. Anyway, okay, so that's federal court. What mm. if What if the federal court agrees with the commission. What happens then? Uh, if Tickle wins, then I imagine that Giggle will um, uh, appeal to the High Court, which is their next step over and yep. above uh, that. And then the High Court will have the ultimate decision in it. Uh, having just been in the High Court last year, um, I would... Uh, I would think that perhaps... Tickle might be in front. Gee, okay. <laughs> the world we live in. Crikey. Okay, well, that's going to be one to watch, isn't it? Um, 9th of February. It... Uh, sorry, yeah. 9th of April is the hearing. Yeah, so not I'll too far be, away. Yeah. I'll definitely be keeping you um, informed and, uh, of course, reporting on it once once we have an outcome. All right, and we'll be talking, I think it's Sal Grover is, is the uh, 
That's the correct. Giggle, the Giggle woman and her mother, I believe, were um, the founders of the app. Uh, we'll be talking to her in the next few days, so listen out for that. All right, let's get down to the bread and butter. WHO pandemic treaties. Where is this at? From what I've seen is that there's kind of a lot of um, backing up the truck and uh, rewriting things, convincing young people that um, you've got to support what we're doing, the WHO. I think Ted Ross was saying that in not so many words in the last uh, few days. So um, I think there are 300-plus amendments, aren't there? Mm -hmm. So so where is – and we've been talking about it all through 2023. It is a condition of uh, the – coalition agreement that um well, what was the word they used the reserved it's not paused it's reserved i think you can explain what that means so where is all this at now well it's complicated uh, by design but i'm going to simplify it where i can good so prior to christmas uh we had the situation where the coalition had just come in new zealand first said no reserve the uh amendment uh, of the international health regulations that reduced time. It just did a couple of minor amendments. They looked minor, but their impact or their effect was huge uh, because what it would do is it would reduce the opportunity to have uh, and consider future amendments, yep. uh, like the 300 that we've got uh, teetering on the doorstep of arriving um, for, well, arriving for us to have a look at. So fortunately, uh you know, we did the people's letter and that was fantastic. Encouraged the um, incumbent government that, you know, you can't reserve an amendment, you can only reject it. And then documents received on OIA uh, in uh, late January confirmed that they had appropriately dealt with the rejection of the amendments. Uh, And along with, uh, I think, three or four other nations have also rejected the amendments on time. So... Uh, there's a few people out there. A rejection doesn't mean that it's rejected for good. Uh, the government's taking the opportunity for a national interest assessment or test uh, to review what the effects are. And you know, rightly so. They're a new, they're an incoming government. They don't know what the last government was doing. And a lot well, of this When stuff... you say um, national interest test, do we know exactly what that involves? Because it's easy to say that. Yeah, sure. It's um, it's run by the Ministry of uh, Finance, I think, and uh, they conduct a test and analysis over and above uh, what is done with our ordinary treaty processes. Um, so, you know, there's a assessment of whether or not this is in national in our national interest. Uh, yes, because it's the Ministry of Finance, it's going to have a financial analysis and component to it. Uh, but this will have a financial component to it, uh, given what's in, uh, what we're looking at for both the um, international health regulations uh, and also the pandemic agreement. There's going to be some big costs for us. Uh, can you can you see this ever passing a national interest test? Can you? Well, I guess who's I guess it depends who's taken the test. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what I was thinking. So, okay. uh, yeah. So we've got then. So we've. The shorter timeframes we've rejected for them for the moment. Uh, then we've got, and we're staring down the barrel of the other two treaties, which is the 300 plus amendments to the international health regulations. Yep. Uh, now, the WHO was required to actually deliver them to us on the 27th of uh, January in accordance with their own decision that brought about these amendments. Uh, but that date slipped on by. Uh, Any explanation? Just, none. Uh, just that they haven't been able to get it done. They received a legal opinion which suggests that they were probably excluded 
uh, from needing to comply with that four-month rule. So just keep on working on them until you uh, deliver them. Uh, Does that tell us that they are aware that there's pushback and they're trying to sort of um, move the pieces around a bit in the meantime to have another go? I think if you see Tedros's openings to various meetings, uh, that's the Director General of the WHO, there is an element of desperation uh, in what he has to say. Uh, and I think that there is much pressure uh, of on all of these unelected uh, representatives from New Zealand and around the world and other member states that are working on these documents to try and get them done and across the line. Now, with the IHR amendments, there only needs to be a majority uh, vote to get it across the line. As a pandemic agreement, which is the uh, other treaty document, is a brand new document, there actually needs to be a two-thirds vote to get that across the line. Uh, and you know that too is also undergoing further amendments, further revisions to the versions that we've we've been provided. This pandemic X, disease X, yeah. The, the, sorry, disease X, pandemic X, disease X. That seemed to come up at um, well, you know, timing was interesting. Do you, do you think there's this is or the mention of that has anything to do with the machinations of what we're talking about? Just asking. Uh, I think everything has a connection, uh, but I interpreted it as, this is, and this is my interpretation, I had interpreted DZX to be an example uh, that they were utilising and discussing, I think mostly at uh, Davos with the WEF. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, yeah, but you know, interestingly, after um, Davos, there was also a article, I think, on Fox News where... Um, the WHO was essentially thrown under the bus with the failure to get these documents in time and exactly what the documents were proposing. So I was particularly surprised to see that uh, in mainstream uh, US media. Right, yeah. That was, that was interesting. So the bizarre thing is, is that we've got these two documents. We don't have the latest version, but the New Zealand government is requesting feedback on both of the documents. Wait on, how does that work? Well, I get an out-of-date document and I ask for public feedback on it. Yeah, but that doesn't sound like a something you'd normally do. <laughs> no, I would you probably... You want submissions on the current document, right? The one that actually means something, you'd think. Yeah, correct. Uh, so we've been trying to work with both of the departments that have issued that request for feedback. Uh, and have not got much of a response as to, uh, you know, uh, when can we expect these documents? Will we get them in sufficient time to review them and consider them uh, before New Zealand's required to vote on them? Uh, or are we going to be having these two documents steering down the, you know, that, that, that we've, what going to have massive impact on our country if they come in, even under the current drafts? Uh, you know, when are we going to get to get a chance to have a look? Because we might not want to even vote on them. Wow. Okay. And so you're not sort of satisfied with the responses so far. Is that what you say? No. Look, the the the, the response that I got from the Ministry of Health uh, when I suggested that the um, uh, they should be asking for the current or the latest uh, latest version of the 300 amendments. Their response was really odd. Their response was, uh, the WHO has not told us that we will be 
um, getting any further documents before the May 2024 uh, date. Now, my natural response was, well, they actually have because here it is under the decision which brought about the amendments in the first place. So it would be appropriate given the WHO is a sum of its parts and you are that part because you're a member state to possibly go and ask where those documents are. Uh, not Good to thing. allow that WHO to dictate to you about it. So it's... You know, it's, well, why do you think they're so they're so passive? Because that sounds like very passive to me. Uh, because they forgot which parts the dog and which what parts the tail wagging. Oh, uh, okay. Um, and you know they they're they perhaps feel look I don't know I don't yeah. know but it's an important reminder that it's the you know WHO is to respond to the member states. Not the member state. It's not the WHO to dictate to the member states. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you'd want our representatives to tell them, tell them that, like bare faced in their face. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the WHO has got form, and the last six months, it's failed to follow its rules on at least three or four occasions. Um, it's got form. You know, if it can't follow its rules on process, what's it going to do when it gets these um, two treaties across the line? And uh, there is um, a, a place people can go to. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of take feedback, right? Yeah, so we spent some significant time on Sunday night on a uh, webinar going through the actual, uh, you know, about five or six key uh, concepts under each of the documents and why, you know, they raise concerns for us. And then it allowed us to, uh, off the back of that, launch a couple of pages, which allows you to complete your templates. Um, or, or a template response to assist you to provide your feedback uh, to the um, Ministry of Health and Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade uh, before the 18th of February. Uh, and so you can either go to www.voicesforfreedom.co.nz um, forward slash feedback hyphen WHO hyphen treaties uh, forward slash or just the voicesforfreedom.co.nz uh, page and then take action. Uh, both the webinar, um, which was really well received, we got through it in about 50 minutes, so it won't take too much time, but it also helps uh, to uh, talk through the IHR feedback template, but also the pandemic uh, treaty feedback template. Right. Okay. And with the replay of this, we'll post those uh, links as well. Okay. Absolutely. Anything more to say about that before we move on to the New Zealand Royal Commission broadening the terms of reference? I'd just like to say, start talking about it, get across um, some of the things that you know make it easy to talk about these things with people. For example, under the pandemic uh, treaty uh, agreement, uh, you know we might have the situation where we'll be having to pay five percent of our overall health budget. Uh, and when I did the maths on that, that was, I think, $1.6 billion, which equaled you know, 21,000 uh, new senior nurses or 55,000 hip replacements or 333,000 cataract uh, replacements. And you know that's the difference between paying for a potential pandemic and the oper operating costs of the WHO uh, under what is effectively a massive trade agreement versus you know actually utilising that money in what we have is a very broken medical system where the waiting lists are so incredibly long for everybody. Yeah, and if you're, prepared, 
If you're prepared to spend the money with the WHO and not locally here, that says that, that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, have those discussions. It affects everybody. It's not a political issue. This is, we're all staring down the barrel of, uh, you know, COVID-19 response pandemic era 2.0, you know. Uh, these are nasty people. Let's be honest. They're nasty. I think they're just We were treated like crap. We were treated like crap, you know, from the top all the way down by these sorts of people. I think it's just opportunistic. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, let's get on to the um, – this is interesting, the New Zealand Royal Commission of Inquiry into, what, the COVID response. Am I right to understand that active – well, they, they want to maintain the current inquiry, which you sort of gone offline a bit. I think we were talking about that before we wound up last year. So they want to keep the current inquiry but broaden its terms – Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of our listeners would say, sod that, start from scratch again. But, I mean, what do yeah. we know? So explain that. Sure. So last year, I think it was December actually 2022, a, a COVID inquiry was uh, promised by, um, or actually went into um, the terms of reference were prepared and actually published uh, by Labour. So we'll call them the Labour terms of reference. Uh, and Labour had a set of parameters uh, that were required to be responded to by the three um, commissioners. Non-curious, uh, I would call them, non-curious. Yeah, parameters. very much focused about pandemic planning for the future, not so much on uh, the response. Uh, and there were a couple of things that were readily uh, or clearly absent, including the fact that the terms of reference actually had uh, section that limited their scope, uh, which you know is is I think telling. Uh, there was a lot of things that weren't going to be covered, and there was a lot of topics that they really couldn't go near. Uh, so, under both of the coalition agreements, ACT with National and New Zealand First with National, each had a section whereby uh, they had a broader uh, terms of reference for a royal commission uh, of inquiry, but. Neither of them had really touched on whether or not they would torpedo the um, uh, current uh, Labour Royal Commission uh, or whether or not they would uh, expand upon it, the current terms. So ACT made a move on uh, Friday saying that they would expand the terms uh, and included a few extra uh, concepts for the terms of reference but indicated that there would be an opportunity for public uh, feedback on the terms. Uh, in response, New Zealand First tick-ticked on the back of that publication and said, by the way, yes, there's expanding the uh, terms of reference of the current inquiry, uh, but they would, um, you know, uh, open public submissions on the 8th of February. So there's a few things that are, are clearly missing. The, some of the terms or new terms that have been described are broad enough that you could probably put... Uh, Things such as you know vaccine harm uh, and injuries and death under those, uh, but look, it's it's pretty loose and uh, not very detailed. But for all of us, there is an opportunity for public submission, and that's all of our jobs to get on board to provide public submissions on what we want to see in the COVID inquiry. And this is really important because it's not just you know 
it's not a political issue. You have it's an apolitical issue. But what is incumbent on all of us, because this affected every single one of us and changed our lives for good, it's our job, every single one of us, to put the terms through that we want so that the New Zealand First and Act can readily expand the terms if that's going to happen or um, start a new inquiry altogether. And I'm not sure if they've entirely landed on that. Um, why, why would you not explicitly state in the... Um, I don't know, terms of reference, expanded terms of reference, explicitly harm, injury, death. Either they're serially dumb, can't read the room, or there's some sort of avoidance of, of directly tackling that head on. And where were New Zealand first in that language, do you think? Look, uh I don't know where uh, New Zealand First were in it. I do still think that there is a, a, a willful blindness um, by many MPs, and I hear it here in Australia all the time. I've not, I don't know anyone that's been hurt, uh, and I. Think I don't that, believe that anymore. I don't believe that. Look, that that's fine, but you know that's uh, you know, in their face is a twenty-two percent excess death rate in their yes, face. It's absolutely, we can see that, um, and and you know there has to be. Uh, questions certainly raised by that, and that clearly needs to be a terms of reference. Uh, you know, we've got vaccine efficacy and procurement certainly mentioned, uh, but well, obviously know, efficacy is already completely busted because you've got vaxxed up people, you know, hitting their sixth COVID infection. So uh, that's <laughs> okay, whatever. Absolutely. Look, there is, you know, we all know that there is a strong desire not to put a spotlight on the harms. Yeah. But but it has to be addressed. It, uh, it will be addressed. You know. It, it, you know, it cannot be ignored. Yeah. You know, the, uh, and the situation is, is that the government has received an awful lot of notifications of injuries and harm and deaths uh, subsequent to receiving these products. And no matter how they try and put rules around you, well, you're not vaccinated until week two weeks after your vaccine and things like that, just doesn't cut the mustard. And this is why we need to have the inquiry. Yeah. We need to have the inquiry so that those commissioners um, are entitled and able to go and have a look and see what the data says, what the government had and knew at the time that it was giving messages about safe and effective, uh, and actually see what was happening with... Uh, the numbers of uh, presentations at uh, AC uh, at accident departments, the number of callouts, uh, and um, you know, including the number of additional uh, or excess mortality. Yeah. So politicians politicians understand numbers, right? When it comes to well, they understand numbers when they come down voting. to voting. So the uh, point I'm getting towards is. That's why we need to have them literally bombarded with incoming feedback. Absolutely. So um, we should have it up and running in the next uh, little while. I feel like all I'm doing is doing submissions templates or feedback yeah. templates to assist everybody at the moment. But um, yeah. I've actually been working really closely with the team in 
um, Australia and we produced a, what we would call a full terms of reference uh, for a COVID inquiry in Australia. Uh, I'm going to do all the work that I can to convert that to a um, or Kiwi-fy it um, to make it relevant to us uh, here in um, New Zealand. Uh, and I'm going to encourage everybody, you know, it's going to be there black and white. Utilise what you want. Uh, we'll also look to do a, a full set where you can get behind that and um, support it. I understand that public submission opportunity opened on the 8th of February. There's been no more information other than what was said in the New Zealand First uh, COVID inquiry response. Um, as of when I checked um, this morning, it's one of those things where we're going to have to keep on about it. Uh, the 8th is in a couple of days, but we'll certainly be getting something up and running and uh, doing a few further uh, webinars and, of course, talking about it on Legal Hub. New Zealand First is obviously aware that a proportion of their vote that got them back into Parliament is on this one issue alone. Oh, I think that uh, New Zealand First will be certainly reminded of that if uh, they uh, have forgotten it or whatever reason for them not being uh, across this uh, issue yeah. when it was um, uh, published on Friday. And uh, I suspect that they you know, already know, given some of the... Uh, I guess, um, information that's floating around. Uh, but, you know, this is why it wasn't necessarily everything job done at, at when the new government yeah. got in. This is, uh, our noses have to be to um, the wheel and we need to actually get and enforce and encourage every single one of those terms to be upheld that we wish to be upheld and that we voted for them on. Yeah. Okay, and on this show, when we've had New Zealand First folk on, that's Winston and that's uh, Shane Jones and that's uh, Casey Costello. I've I've put that to them, and they have said, "Yeah, that's that's what that means." So, <laughs> I guess yeah, uh, and, and look, we've got them seen, on tape, you know. Yeah, you do, and there just seems to be quite a disconnect from the messaging that was sent on Friday to to that, and perhaps. There was uh, maybe they were caught with their pants down. Well, that, that that can happen. That can happen. But but uh, let's see what they do from now is is what's vitally important. It's our job to keep them accountable. So links to those uh, templates will be available real soon. Will they? And we can we can announce that. I'll, I'll absolutely. You'll be able to out. announce that in on any of your morning sessions, Paul. And uh, you know, just keep an eye out. Voices for Freedom. Yeah. to take action. At the moment in time, get on board with getting the uh, responses to the WHO templates. Check out the video that we did on uh, we, on Sunday night. That was really yep. well received. Uh, and then we'll have the next job for you to get on with, which <laughs> is throwing your support behind a full terms of reference, answering all the questions that we uh, know need to be answered um, yep. as a consequence yep. of the response to the last four years. It's going to be an interesting year, do you think? We're going to be busy. Yeah, but we can do it all together, and you know, together yeah. we will make a difference. Well, look, sure. look what we did last year. Excellent. Look at what we did last year. Yeah, we've only just begun. In the words of the Carpenters, we've only just begun. All right, so that's our legal hub, right? We've we've uh, covered what we intended to cover this morning. Absolutely, thank you, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. It's so good to be back with everyone. Yeah, it's good to have you back, and I'm really looking forward to finding out, you know, the finer detail on giggle versus tickle. That's coming up. That's going to be really interesting. Awesome. I'll keep you informed. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. 
and right now they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.